0: A podcast about the overlooked, forgotten, and underground tales of San Francisco. This is Sorted SF. Hello. Hello. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you for having me in... in Your lovely podcast studio.
0: Yes, which is your living room. Um, Everyone, meet Sean, my new audio engineer. Hi. And also my first guest in season two.
1: Thanks for having me. Happy to be on.
0: (laughs) Um, I remember telling people when I went on my very long summer vacation, like, I'm going to come back and it's going to be, I'm just going to really try and up production level. So I found myself a Sean. Yep.
1: Yep. That's the whole reason for my existence at this point.
0: <laughs> and um, you obviously by now have heard the brand new theme song. that song, uh, that The song that Sean graciously made for me. And I'm really stoked on it. And I'm very happy with it. So thanks, Sean.
1: You're very, very uh, uh, welcome.
0: Uh, thanks. Um, so, Sean, from San Francisco, uh, what was it like to grow up here? Tell me about your experience.
1: Uh, Growing up here was definitely um, You get exposed to a lot more Growing up in San Francisco than I feel like a lot of other places Like I'd equate it to growing up in like Another metropolitan area (laughs) Wow A big city
0: (laughs) Growing up in a big city is like growing up in a big city
1: I mean is this a big city? It's only 49 square miles
0: I feel like that's a big city
1: Population under a thousand or under a million when we were kids
0: Yeah but Now it's more
1: Now it's more I don't know. I feel like San Francisco definitely rode rode the line of like having this big city vibe, but also having this like small coastal beach community yeah. vibe. You definitely saw that growing up in the sunset. And
0: yeah.
1: I grew up in kind of an I would argue a more sketchy area than you. Um, uh,
0: you had like an HOA name.
1: Yeah, but
0: <laughs> You lived in an HOA. It's
1: by City College.
0: <laughs> in an HOA.
1: They I got hit by a car and robbed at gunpoint blocks from my home. <laughs>
0: That's true. Okay, fair.
1: Yeah. What's happened to you? Uh,
0: Less. (laughs) Well, you haven't left San Francisco, which I love for you. How do you feel about it?
1: Uh, I definitely am trying to live somewhere else for a little bit, but I definitely want to settle down in San Francisco, which I I would argue I have. Uh, I haven't left San Francisco for a bunch of reasons. Um, I didn't go away to college. I went to community college, dropped out three times. Um,
0: Right, you're in your sixth year.
1: I'm in my sixth year of community college, going strong. (laughs) 1.5 GPA, but we're fixing it.
0: (laughs) We're working on it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Chasing a music career will do that for you, so.
0: Yeah. Uh, You look stressed. You look like you're in an uncomfortable position. Am I? You tell me. You look a little anxious. Are you nervous?
1: Uh, I am nervous to be on a podcast. I've never been on a podcast before.
0: Mm, You've just... Stood in front of thousands of people and played your little heart out.
1: It's different. Cause like, I feel like this is so much more, um, like I play music that I've made, you know, in front of a shit ton of people. Sorry. I'm in front of a bunch of people quite often. <laughs> you can swear. I'm not going to swear. I'm There's gonna cut, like eight
0: people who listen to this. I'm
1: going to cut that out. And they're cool with it. <laughs> Still cutting this out.
0: <laughs> you can't.
1: I have the power to. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, this is like so much more, um, uh, like authentic, I guess, because, you know, when you're on stage, I can kind of be whoever I want to be and people just accept me for that. But, you know, this is like a stream of consciousness that comes out of my mouth. So, you know, right,
0: and it is a mess so far. I usually
1: try and hide the way my brain works.
0: <laughs> well, thank you again for being here. I am sharing with you a story that I told you about I told you the name of it. I'd asked if you have heard if you had heard of it before, and you said no. What's that? And I said sick because that was a story that my parents told me, and the whole reason I wanted to start this podcast in the first place. So I'm very excited to share with you the story of Fajita Gate.
1: That kind of sounds like, um, you know, just tell me the story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so today's sources include articles from SF Gate. Um, and the most amazing article and follow up interview from the New Yorker's Jeffrey T- Tubin, Tobin, Tobin, T uh, O O B I N. Like this is just incredible journalism. So pithy, just so much talent. And while researching Fajita Gate, I learned, however, that Tobin was fired from the New Yorker for accidentally masturbating during an important Zoom meeting. He thought he was on mute, but he wasn't.
1: Wait. So what? Was there camera footage of this?
0: I think the camera was off, but he was just not muted. That's This hot. is like a huge meeting at the New Yorker. Like, had worked at the New Yorker for like 20 years.
1: So my question is, how, how does one get to the point of being so turned on that...
0: You have to masturbate during a work meeting?
1: Yeah, I mean, I work at a restaurant, and I'm not like sneaking into uh, behind <laughs> I mean, the bar. And,
0: the lobster bisque doesn't do it for you?
1: I mean, the smell does, but... <laughs>
0: It grows. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Fajita Gate, let's set the scene. It's November 2002. We're in a post 9-11 world. It's foggy out. It's cold. It's crisp. We're in the greatest city in the world. It's closing time at the Blue Light Saloon on Union Street, right in the heart of the marina. 22-year-old bartender Adam Snyder is locking up a- along with one of his friends slash patrons. You know how when you're a bartender, you're like, buddy will stay and help you close the bar and then you leave together kind of thing.
1: Oh yeah, it's like they usually get free drinks in return.
0: Exactly. So Adam was locking up with his buddy, Jade Santoro. It, uh, Taco Tuesday had just ended. Adam had his leftover food and was ready to go to bed. So it's like 2 a.m. He you know ordered before the kitchen closed from Taco Tuesday. They're going home.
1: This, this, the Taco Tuesday was in the same restaurant? Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah. And so Blue Light still exists. Uh, we can visit it sometime. I'm very down. It's pretty divey. Um, so Adam and Jade, and Jade's his first name, uh, Adam and Jade are headed home when they run into two guys who are leaving the bus stop bar on the corner of Union and Laguna. The bus stop is actually one of the oldest bars in the city and has stood at that same spot since 1901, which is pretty fucking cool.
1: Is this one of the bars you went to on that bar crawl?
0: No, I've just been there before. Um, didn't make it down to the marina because I drank too much in the Tenderloin.
1: You always drink too much. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, cut, I'll cut that.
0: <laughs> so Adam and Jade are minding their business. And one of these bus stop patrons demands the bag of fajitas that Adam is carrying. And Adam and Jade are obviously like, no, and tried to walk in the other direction. They thought the bus stop boys were joking until one of them, who was carrying a beer bottle, told him, come on, dude, just give me your food. The exact order of events is a little spotty because like some of the sources give semi conflicting information. So like, bear with me here. But Adam and Jade try to ignore and avoid a confrontation when a pickup truck rolls up and tells the bus stop boys to get in. Instead of getting in, one of the bus stop boys throws their beer bottle at Jade, and the driver of the pickup truck hops out and starts helping beer bottle boy beat up Jade.
1: The person that didn't want to share his food.
0: Oh, the buddy of the person who didn't want to share his food.
1: Oh, man, it's a bad night for that guy.
0: So... The third man starts attacking Adam and Adam says at one point he was put in a chokehold and dragged down Union Street where he was able to catch a glimpse of his friend Jade as Jade lay on the ground and was repeatedly kicked. The accosters left shortly after and drove up in the pickup truck, but not before Adam was able to get the license plate and call the cops. In the 911 call, you can hear him tell dispatch that they didn't need an ambulance, but he was pretty sure that Jade had a broken nose. So it isn't until the pickup truck doubles back to cruise by the scene of the crime that they're stopped. Adam offers to identify his assailants, but all the cops would tell him that the matter was under investigation and the suspects were being taken to the station to be questioned. So who are these suspects and what were they doing leading up to the incident at the bus stop? Honestly, not too much is known about David Lee, 23 years old. Matt Tonsing 21 but Alex Fagan Jr 23 has a really healthy backstory
1: healthy or lengthy as in like a rap sheet either <laughs> both both porque no los dos
0: <laughs> uh, but like these kids are so young 23 23 21 as somebody 23, that was yeah.
1: somebody that was a 23 year old male at one point decades ago um <laughs> 23 year olds. That's like prime age to do stupid stuff because you're just old enough to know what you can get away with. And you still have this like tough guy attitude, having to prove something to the world, possibly angry at the world.
0: Well, so.
1: So I'm excited to hear what this guy's backstory is.
0: Well, the backstory is they're all cops.
1: Well, that's fun. Oh, (laughs) We don't have to get into my politics surrounding cops, but.
0: Oh, we will.
1: But I'll just say this. I grew up skating.
0: (laughs) So Lee and Tonsing are like normies. But then Alex Fagan Jr., he was in his probationary period of being an officer. I think how it works is like you pass through the academy and then you're on probation for like years. Um, Regardless, though, in the 13 months from the time Fagan Jr. had started his probationary period and Gate, so 13 months between his start as, like, a real cop and Gate, he had been involved in, count it, 16 violent encounters. Six of those 16 incidents resulted in suspects needing medical attention at hospitals.
1: Oh, and so this guy is off duty at this point. Yep. Yeah. Wow.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Fagan Jr. was described by some to be a model officer who had no issues with supervisors, other officers, or the duties of his job. On the opposite side, many also gave statements stating that his short temper, uncontrollable outbursts of anger, and general disrespect for his superiors and fellow officers alike uh, were things. Um, Fagan Jr. was the son of Fagan Sr. Obviously, who was at the time, of course, none other than the assistant police chief who had just been named the number two in the department.
1: I love me some nepotism.
0: Uh, it turns out prior to the ruckus at the bus stop, the three rookie officers had just come from a big cele- celebration in honor of Fagan senior becoming assistant police chief. So they were at a party celebrating this guy's dad's like uh, ascent to assistant police chief.
1: And so they keep it going after they go to the bus stop. Exactly. They tie, they tie a few the- more on.
0: Because the party had been held at House of Prime Rib, where Fagan Jr. had shown up late in jeans and flip-flops.
1: Well, thank God House of Prime Rib doesn't have a dress code.
0: (laughs) He spent the night drinking and when it ended, walked over to the bus stop with his buddies. So let's pause there so I can just talk a little bit about SF Police Department at this time. Um, At this time, San Francisco hasn't had like too many scandals or crazy police murders like, compared to New York City, uh, for the most part, SF cops have always been, like, pretty lax in their policing. Um, it's, you know, it's San Francisco, after all.
1: I would actually argue, growing up, that San, the San Francisco police are very chill. Mm-hmm. Like, we we would get away with murder. It, well, was, it was always, will you please leave? Now we're going to arrest you and take you home.
0: Right. Because, like it's the land of drugs and hippies and free love. Like yeah. Have too and much to do
1: and crime. They have way too much to worry about.
0: So, but that being said, just like every department, there are always going to be like the dirty Harry types, which again, we talked about earlier. I haven't seen dirty Harry, but I know the gist. And it's a Clint Eastwood movie.
1: Going to have to watch that sometime with my loved one.
0: <laughs> and uh, he's a cop in San Francisco. And like, the vibe, I think, is, and this will be really embarrassing if I get this wrong to listeners who do know Dirty Harry, but he's a cop who just, like, kind of gets the criminal at all costs. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to watch the movie. But so there's always going to be, like, those types of cops. So those who, like, break a few rules and violate some rights to, like, get the bad guy, you know? Yeah. And Fagan Sr., the guy who had just been voted police assistant police chief, was part of the scene as well. Um, along with his buddy, Captain Gregory Corrales, a veteran narcotics officer who was the one who was kind of like at the head of this dirty, hairy brigade. Um, like it's a lifestyle, not a job. It just so happens that Captain Corrales was one of the officers who responded to Adam Snyder's 911 call. So, okay.
1: So the friend of the assistant police chief mm -hmm. has now was one of the responders On
0: to the son's crime.
1: Okay, so this seems like it's leading down a path of a big old cover up.
0: So Corrales was also the commanding officer of those two of two of the um, three bus stop boys. So, like, not only is he buddies with one of their dads, he's also their boss. So, like, yeah, embarrassing. And this is the crux of the scandal, like you said.
1: Can we go, can we go back to how bad was Jade beaten? Um, how does that play into this?
0: He was, I'll touch on that. Beautiful. It's touched on. Can't wait. <laughs> um. So this is the crux of the scandal. Like bar fights are whatever. And the fact that cops were violent assholes, like wasn't the issue even or up for debate. Uh, but what captivated the city and turned it into what is now known as Fajita Gate was the question did these cops get special treatment because of their position as cops and did this special treatment prevent justice from being served quote they were allowed to speak to one another change clothes and avoid a blood alcohol test for several hours also the police on the scene did not conduct a quote cold show that is bring the victims directly to the suspects It to make an immediate identification.
1: Well, you had that quote in there, right? Where they were specifically not like told not to because it was under investigation, right?
0: Well, the when Snyder, Adam Snyder and Jade like talked to the cops and were like, I can identify them. The cops told them like, don't worry about it. Like it's under investigation. You don't need to identify anyone, Uh, which obviously wouldn't have happened if they had been normal folks involved in a bar fight. Like obviously the cops would have been like, yeah, who who's your assailant who beat you up? But this they whole, already know who beat them up because they're all buddies.
1: This whole situation just makes me want to have a lawyer on retainer.
0: <laughs> you can't afford that.
1: I can't afford anything.
0: <laughs> uh so Jade's released in the hospital in the wee hours of the morning. Um, he goes to general, obviously, and gets off out at like 5 a.m. So like only a couple hours later. But um, yeah, he has a broken nose, I think. Um Adam is like, what the fuck happened? Uh, the cops who are on the scene write up their report and turn it in to the D.A. They just say, you know, open and shut barroom fight. No big deal. But the D.A. named Thomas Hallinan took a look at the people involved and was like, hmm, seems like this could be sketch. He feared that he wasn't getting all the information and flagged it to the police chief, Earl Sanders. Uh, Quick side note about D.A. Hallinan, and he's worth an episode on its own. He's fascinating. I can't wait to talk about him more. Um, But here's a quote that sums up his vibe and his feelings about the cops in SF. Quote, our police department is terrible. It's a weird town. It's apparently the most liberal town in America. But at the same time, it's so traditional. The police get promoted through seniority. There's a good old boy tradition. They do a poor job of solving murders. They just do a poor job. So this is the ethos of the DA, like the Chesa Boudin of the time. Uh, and he's the one who thinks something's up. And it's like, this is fishy.
1: Oh, I mean, but that's not. that kind of seems like, too, like that's every police department. That's just, that's true. That's the, the whole thin blue line deal.
0: Love to see it.
1: I'm really happy that back then there was somebody <laughs> vouching for uh, the citizens.
0: Yeah. So, Chief Sanders tells D.A. Hallinan that everything is happening above board, and the normal course of investigation is in process. Hallinan persists and asks the chief why the victims weren't asked to do a cold show, which again is when the police interview the victim and ask them to identify those who are involved. Sanders tells Hallinan that there was no need to do a cold show because the bus stop boys admitted they were involved. And this is truly just a case of a bar fight. And now they're trying to conclude the investigation. And then D.A. Hallinan does something really fucking stupid and gives Sanders a solution. The solution is have the bus stop boys plead guilty of a misdemeanor. I'll prosecute them with a slap on the wrist and will quote, we'll handle it just like what happened to my son, which is the D.A. telling the chief. Hey, your guys were in the wrong. Let's solve this investigation by having them accept the charges. And then they'll do some community service, just like what we did for my son when he got arrested for similar charges. And so it's the DA, like, we've seen this before. Like, just like we got my son off, we'll, like, prosecute with a slap on the wrist and get these kids off, too. Good Lord. Yeah. Just like, yeah, the chief was like, what? That's uh, that's, No,
1: that's uh, pretty blatant.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the chief is like, absolutely not. What the fuck are you talking about? Um, But Hallinan kept pushing. And remember, this happened in late November. And now it's January. They meet again um, over coffee. And uh, the DA, Hallinan still tries to convince him to, like, charge. Like, they want to charge the bus stop boys and just have them plead guilty, whatever. Uh, And the chief tells him still, like, fuck off. Uh, By this time, it's been over a month. And even Mayor Willie Brown was getting annoyed at the beginning of all this. Brown had actually suggested turning the case over to like Oakland PD or some other like law office for investigation so that like all of this could be avoided.
1: But obviously that didn't happen because people from the East Bay never crossed the bridge and people from the city (laughs) never crossed the bridge either.
0: That's why. Exactly. Uh, We just don't
1: associate with those people.
0: And so the police chief was like, no, we got this. No biggie. No need to transfer it to another agency. And Willie Brown is quoted as saying after this, like, frankly, I was sorry that circumstances proved me more right than I ever dreamed. It's like, okay, Willie, like, stop sucking your own dick. Uh, But he, he wasn't wrong.
1: You know, I've waited on that guy before. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's kind of his whole ad that's his whole shtick.
0: Yeah, like I've been reading about him and like another fascinating person. Like I had no idea he was a defense attorney, like specifically for prostitutes. Like that's badass.
1: I feel like that's one of those things where like that was really beneficial for him.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh but yeah, in every get, article I read, mm-hmm. I'll
1: get you off and then you get me off.
0: Yeah. Totally above board.
1: Position of pow- positions of power.
0: <laughs> uh, but so Willie Brown—that's well,
1: another double entendre. Get it? Because uh, sex. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow, you're so clever. <laughs> Brown also had a bone with picked with D.A. Hallinan, uh, who had wish it, who had wished he acted faster in charging the officers, uh, because by this time Hallinan had called a grand jury, and so like. You know, I should have googled like the exact definition of a grand jury, but I think it's when you call a bunch of people in, like jurors.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You call jurors in to kind of decide if this is like a prosecutable crime,
1: maybe. So it's like a pre pre trial.
0: It's a pre 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 engagement, yes. And her. <laughs> So his office called 43 witnesses to testify again, like no charge has been filed yet, but they called 43 witnesses to testify before this grand jury, even the chef at the blue light who in the trial was asked to provide his recipe for fajitas. So I'm going to include that in the Instagram and we're obviously going to make those. Um, after 60 days of investigation, the evidence before the grand jury turned out to be inconclusive.
1: Who would have thought that would have happened? Not me.
0: There was there were gaps and contradictions in the senior officer's accounts of the investigation, but proof of an actual conspiracy was, by D.A. Hallinan's own admission, less than overwhelming. We can't figure out who told who what, he said. Prosecutors almost always provide clear direction to grand jurors, but Hallinan essentially left the decision about whom to indict in the hands of the jurors. Basically, the prosecutors gave them a blank indictment form on which they could write the names of the people they think should be charged. Just like, write it down themselves.
1: This is just turning into a massive story of just, it seems like a bunch of people just didn't
0: do their jobs. Yeah. Like
1: just didn't want to do their jobs. And
0: yeah. Uh, were so, they smoking
1: weed at the time or something like,
0: <laughs> no, it was cocaine. It was the early two thousands. I don't know what drugs were people doing in San Francisco in the early two thousands.
1: Oh, definitely not. a. I don't know. Probably cocaine. Cocaine seems like it's been a heavy. Oh,
0: do you think? I mean, this time kind of coincides with like the tail end of the AIDS crisis, so maybe like needle drugs. I, I would say that's not insensitive. I would say maybe meth. Meth. I feel like San Francisco doesn't have a meth problem.
1: I feel like with stimulants, yeah, they're just kind of a constant in the world. Yeah. Like I think Adderall. Became it's like a- the
0: poor people stay poor, and meth exists.
1: Yeah, it's like like cocaine. Okay, people are always gonna you know do cocaine, but yeah. you know there's no cocaine anymore. It's just meth. Right. Yeah, so anybody out there who participates in doing cocaine, surprise, you've been doing meth mm, cute. and a little bit of fentanyl <laughs> mm. just to smooth things over. <laughs> Don't do drugs.
0: Seconded. Uh, so the forewoman of the grand jury, Virginia Tab, told uh, reporters that the grand jury was kind of suspicious of the roles the senior members of the department like had and wanted to indict them. So when the time came, she scribbled in the name of seven new defendants, Earl Sanders, the police chief, Alex Fagan Sr., the new assistant police chief, uh, senior officer Greb Corrales, and four other high-ranking SF cops.
1: Oh, so these people all just screwed themselves by putting this in the hands of the jury, and they just wrote in, what do they think it was, like a—, like a who was part of this kind of thing? Well,
0: so here's the thing. It was the DA, the DA and the jurors are on the same side. Mm-hmm. And so the DA was trying to prosecute all the people that they ended up writing in.
1: Oh, so the DA was trying to hold the yes. chief of police and the they assistant chief like, and the captain all yeah, accountable. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so when DA Hellen sees how many people they like wrote in to indict, he has like an oh shit moment and is like, what have I done? But I do agree.
1: Well, yeah, that's like several levels uh, that's several levels of uh, you know the police department.
0: yeah, so this is like early two thousand three. I think we've invaded Iraq at this point. so excuse me.
1: that sounds right.
0: We've invaded Iraq at this point, and SF is protesting. The focus in the news is on the war. Never so forget. there was radio silence while the grand jury was going on. Sanders, the police chief, says he wasn't even called to testify. And he got a call when the jury had decided, letting him know that he had been indicted and had until 11 to turn himself in. Of course, his first move was to figure out who would replace him while he dealt with the indictment. So he tried to tap two deputy chiefs, David Robinson and Greg Schur. But of course, they had already been indicted. Then, quote, I looked for Alex Fagan, but he said he had been indicted too. I was running out of people. Finally, Sanders reached down in the hierarchy to find uh Heather Wong, the deputy chief of administration to run the department, who then became the first woman to lead SFPD. It's a progress.
1: I guess I feel like uh that should have been something that happened naturally, but, you know. I
0: mean, it was the early 2000s. So the city's stunned, and the chronicle heavily implies a cover-up like throughout this whole thing, and it's now it's only now that Hallinan takes the grand jury transcript home. He takes it home over the weekend because apparently this isn't like top of his job. Apparently, um, and he looks to see through the grand jury like transcripts what evidence was against these people. He realized that in all of the testimonies, they scarcely mention Chief Sanders and Assistant Chief Fagan. So on March 11th, Hallinan, who must have had his tail between his legs dropped the indictments against Sanders and Fagan, but said there was still plenty against the officers, including felony assault for the bus stop boys. This kind of marked the beginning of the end because on April 4th, Judge kasena Tsenin dropped all remaining conspiracy charges against the five top officers. The only charges that remained were the charges for the bus stop boys. Uh, Lee, Tonesing, and Fagan Jr. were actually ultimately acquitted of assault charges. A civil jury, however, did find Tonsing and Fagan Jr. liable for some damages. Okay. Uh but here's the crazy bit. The civil jury found Fagan and police officer Matt Tonsing liable for damages suffered in the beating of Jade and awarded him thirty six thousand five hundred dollars in damages. Lit. Cool. I
1: would I would get my ass kicked. Like buy yearly for that amount of money.
0: <laughs> okay, the jury found in favor of Tonsing but against Fagan and awarded Adam Snyder nine thousand five hundred. But the same jury also completely exonerated Lee, and Snyder was ordered to pay both Lee and Tonsing's defense costs.
1: What is happening? Yeah. This is like a beautiful example of when our legal system doesn't work.
0: Yeah. So Snyder ended up having to pay two of the cops legal fees, I which I that, guess maybe that's a difference in like civil court.
1: I wonder what that, uh, what, what that amount was. Is, is that public information? Maybe. Cause lawyers are expensive.
0: I probably have to buy some, uh, subscriptions to some websites to get that.
1: It's such bullshit that they have that info behind paywalls.
0: It's public, but it's under paywall.
1: It's public, just not to anybody that can't afford it.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: That's capitalism, baby.
0: We love it here. Uh,
1: (laughs) I want to go live in Portugal and be unemployed.
0: (laughs) Don't we all? So then here's like the last little fun fact before the conclusion of Fajita Gate. So in 2004... After Fajita Gate, but before the criminal trial for it, uh, where he was inevitably found not guilty, Alex Fagan Jr. was arrested in Scottsdale, Arizona on charges of punching a security guard and threatening police officers after having a fight with his dad, the assistant police chief.
1: This is one bad cop.
0: <laughs> right? Uh, no donut. <laughs> He was our bad cop, no donut. Uh, he was inevitably like let go from SFPD, uh, Fagan Jr. But only because he wasn't able to complete his probation period within the time frame that's allowed.
1: So is there? So what? What is part of the probation period? Are you supposed to like go so long without any uh, like infractions or anything?
0: Basically, I think you just have like. You have a buddy cop, like, a more senior cop with you, and, like, they're your partner, and they're first-in-command kind of thing, and they're making sure you know how to do the job and, like, aren't mishandling weapons and aren't driving shittily, and it's just, like—you basically just have, like, a fucking—you're doing, like, a high school shadow. Yeah, yeah. For, like, a couple, like, for two years or something. Year Man, now,
1: those maybe. cops, that get past their probation period and they're allowed to work their beat alone. Can you imagine the type of power you must feel? Yeah. Like, I'm going to run every single red light.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, hope they don't. I don't know. That's the story of Gate.
1: That's a beautiful example of why we need... Uh, Quite a bit of reformation in this country with uh, our legal system. Great
0: store, reformation <laughs> sponsored.
1: You're thinking this is you're a great th-
0: time for an ad break. Uh,
1: you're thinking of Restoration Hardware
0: with the restaurant.
1: Oh, that does have a restaurant. Yeah,
0: there's one in Marin and on like Bay.
1: I preferred Nordstrom with Boudin.
0: <laughs> Super class.
1: Love me a bread bowl.
0: Yeah. Um, well. Thank you. So, yeah, that's the story of Fahitagate. Thanks, uh Thanks for being here in your own living room.
1: Thank you for being here in my living room.
0: Yeah, You're welcome. Thanks and for letting also, me use all your audio equipment.
1: Well, I'm not letting you. You're paying me my salary, so I mm, just want to remind you of that.
0: That's fair. And this is transactional.
1: Thousands of dollars an hour.
0: Anyway, thank you for being my sound audio guy I'm so excited I hope that this episode sounds better than anything from season one I hope my theme song is loved and um, yeah thanks for listening to me blather on about Fajita Gate
1: I did just realize that I just signed up to do every episode with you because if you change the mics at this point there's going to be a noticeable difference in audio quality yeah
0: so like welcome to my podcast studio bitch <laughs> This okay. is my house now.
1: Okay, I pay the rent here. Um anyway.
0: <laughs> but I pay your salary.
1: Okay, you can Thursday nights garbage night.
0: I see that, yeah. Yeah, All you
1: right. can you can take the trash out this week.
0: You know what? I will. It'll be full of our wine bottles. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, amazing. Thank you. Uh thank you to everyone who listened. Welcome back. I'm so excited for season 2. I have so many stories to share. Um so much goss. And yeah, I love you. Thank you for listening. Okay, bye.